is Gwen Stacy. I went to a science demonstration, got bitten by a radioactive spider, and now have these amazing powers. To the residents of New York, I'm the dangerous vigilante called Spider Woman. But you know me as Spider Gwen. Now let's find out what I've been up to. Are you ready? Because it's time for the ultimate spin. Greetings, true believers. My name is Brian, and this is Ultimate Spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man podcast that looks at a different corner of the web and follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. In this episode, we welcome special guest Riley Silverman, who's joining us to catch up with part four of the Predator's arc, Spider-Gwen number 22. My name is Jack, and if this is your first time checking out our show, then we invite you to visit ultimatespinpodcast.com, where you can download or stream the episodes for just about every Miles and Gwen issue today. We've got exclusive in-depth interviews with all the writers and artists for you to check out and enjoy. And most importantly, if you're listening to this, then we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. Tell us what you think of the stories, the art, characters, whatever's on your mind. This podcast is by fans and for fans, so we'd love to feature your comments on the show. And sadly, no Kyle this week, but gladly welcoming Riley. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Bright and early on a Saturday morning and talk about comic books. I mean, it's like my perfect life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what could be better? So Riley, tell us about yourself. I'm a comedian and writer who lives in Los Angeles, and I, I grew up as a massive Spider-Man fan. I loved Spider-Man as a kid. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a trans woman. And so there's something for me about having Gwen as a character that really like speaks to me. Like it's, it's sort of a thing where it's like, well, here's a character who is kind of a female version of something that I loved as a kid. Mm. And so like metaphorically that like really kind of hits me on a level. And also just like as a fan of female characters and, and like well-written female characters in comics, I, I just like that Gwen is a classically fridged character who has now been given her own power and her own stories and stuff like that, which I know I touched that on that a little bit in the article itself, but so it's just a really interesting thing. And also she's just cool. I mean, her costume is amazing and she's just a fun character to follow. So I know, I, I know I talk more about Gwen, Gwen than myself, but yeah, to sum me up, I'm a nerdy sci-fi writer comic who has a Dr. Who podcast and reads comics. But for our listeners, you might remember in our last Gwen episode, we talked about Riley's article that she did for sci-fi. Can spider Gwen be saved from her own storylines? And we found it really interesting because it's, it's kind of rare to, to find like well articulated critiques of the series uh, out on the web. I don't know, Riley, have, have you found that as well? Yeah, that was kind of part of why I pitched it because I, I feel like so much of online discourse for any pop culture, not just Spider-Gwen, is like, either this is amazing and I love everything about it, and if you don't love it, you're a jerk, or someone who's like, this sucks, and everything sucks, and everything you like is bad. And I, and I don't think that's always the case with being a fan of something. Like, I think that, like, it is very like, possible to to love a thing, but think that it has problems that could be solved to be better, and, like, just want to nudge those problems away a little bit. I couldn't agree more. And that's certainly something I aim for. And I know Kyle and Brian do as well on this show. We try not to, you know, be blind to the series flaws, but also we don't want to completely throw everything in the trash and say like, well, we're not doing Mars Morales anymore. It's been terrible for a hundred issues now and anything like that. Finding that balance and actually being critical is the thing that separates people that actually write about and, and podcast about comics and things like that. I think people like us that actually 
kind of know about the medium and go in and go in depth and things like that like you did in your article and like brian said it's quite unusual to find that sort of thing where did the kind of um basically how did it go it sounds like you pitched it to sci-fi and and they kind of accepted it it was it was your kind of idea to start with it was definitely my original pitch uh so i write for fangirls which is the kind of like like female centric section of the sci-fi site so I, I'd already been approved as a, as a contributor to that site and I'd already written a few pieces for them. But this was my first pitch that I actually put in. Like I had this idea for a story, let me put this in, that the editor, Sharon Martinez, was just like, yeah, that is definitely something I want on my site. And so, you know, I put it in and it kind of sat in the queue for a while because it was a pretty evergreen story. It doesn't really have it. It wasn't extremely mm. timely. So it was actually, it was funny because that was the first thing I pitched, the first thing they bought for me. And then it sat there while other things that I wrote, like I wrote about Doctor Who and stuff like that, and those all popped up. And then I kept waiting for the Spider-Gwen one to come out. And then finally, it was just something that was kind of knocking around in my head for a while. And I'm like, well, I have this job. This I had this opportunity to, to put this thought process out in the world and see what happens with it. So a, a big idea in, in your article that resonated with us was pushing for the series Spider-Gwen to be sort of more than Ultimate Spider-Man 2.0. And by that, sort of like, the whole approach of remixing, like the what if aspect of it, like, oh, taking a familiar idea and turning it around a little bit. And sometimes that can be overwhelming uh, for us as readers. I mean, even in one episode, Kyle and I got mixed up. Uh, the uh, Peggy Carter character had showed up, so a woman with an eye patch. And we were, we kind of got lost and forgot, oh, we had actually seen her. We assumed that she was just, oh, she must have been uh, Nicola Fury, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so do you, do you find that because uh, your article was talking about like how to be how to like sort of break away from those storylines? I mean, where where are you? How are you finding it these days? You know, for a while, I thought it was kind of going back in the right direction, but I have, and I'll talk about it a bit with today's issue as well. But even in number twenty one, like you know, we saw at the end of twenty that we're going to have the Earth sixty five Wolverine appear, the Logan Wolverine, and then in twenty one. Logan appears, but his name is like Murder Fists, Mr. Murder Hands, or Murder Hands, Murder, Murder Hands, which is yeah. which is funny. Like it's a funny joke, but then it's like okay, so now we're spending all this time that should be spent on Gwen and Harry on introducing this third character, and we already also have the Hand, you know, and then we also have which I thought was really great in the last issue, the stuff happening back in New York with with Foggy. And um, Murdoch, and then like how they're like maneuvering to get the Rhino into the prison with with George Stacy, but then in this issue, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. That's suddenly really rushed because of like real estate that's being taken up by what if stuff. All right. Well, with that, I mean, we should probably just get to it. Jack, you want to hit us with a recap? We pick up shortly after the tense cliffhanger of the previous issue, where Rhino has run amok in jail, escaping police custody thanks to a ninja assist. In Madripoor, Harry has gone full lizard and is putting up quite the fight against Murder Hands. During the fight, we also get a brief flashback into Logan's experiences in Earth-65's Weapon X program, and thanks to Kitty, Gwen gets a breather from the action and gets a chance to call Reed for some advice on how to help Harry. Gwen formulates a plan using Kitty's phasing power to expose the radioactive superpower cells to Harry's wounds and exercise venom from Harry's body. Finally, we return to see the aftermath of Rhino's attack on George as Captain Stacy is bloodied, beaten, and on the brink of death. So, we did finally get the resolution 
for that cliffhanger. We've mentioned a lot how the cliffhangers for each issue skips forward in time and then we see the results. This happened again. I thought it worked really, really well in that we started off with knowing what Rhino's been up to and clearly, you know, he succeeded in his mission if he's being taken away, but we don't see the results of that until the very, very last panel. And it's a really powerful ending, I think, that final panel. And I like how that scene kind of bookended the whole issue. I think that worked really well. I have to uh, give credit to whoever laid out this book in a a remarkable coincidence because I read the print version first. So that opening scene is chilling because it's building up to that horrible revelation when uh, Gene and Boyle discover George's body. You turn the page and there is a splash of Harry in full lizard mode. But on the right side, my eye goes straight to a an ad for the Universal Orlando Resort, where in large letters it says, it just got real. <laughs> Couldn't have been more perfect. And it took me a split second, like, is that part of the comic? Because it, it fit perfectly. That's really funny. I, I, I read I read the print version, but that didn't that didn't jump out to me. That's really funny. I, I have I have a really good ability of ignoring ads completely when I'm reading a print version of something. So that might have been why. <laughs> might have, yeah. If you read in print, you you ha- eventually have to learn that skill, don't you? Really, otherwise it's just it's just too much. And unless you do the thing like DC did and just incorporate Snickers ads actually into your comic <laughs> right. somehow. Because <laughs> oh my god, yes, that's a thing. <laughs> You know that Spider like Marvel's gonna start marketing some sort of like pow- Spider Gwen power up candy. Like, hey, it's gonna give you your pa-. like. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But we then jump from the opening scene, and as you mentioned, Brian, we get a splash page of uh, Harry in full lizard form, and Robbie's work in this action scene is absolutely fantastic. It's so frantic and crazy, and. We've had that problem before where it kind of gets a bit out of hand, and I think it does a couple of times in this issue with the pacing because it's so frenetic. But I think those first few pages of Murder Hands versus Lizard look absolutely stunning and incredible and are classic Robbie Rodriguez style, you know, hyper stylized yeah. action. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, hopefully, hopefully not for a while, but um, yeah, and this. This fight as the centerpiece of this issue, it's it's great, but it's also yeah. It, I'm going to say it got away from me um, a couple of times, and I think absolutely to Riley's point earlier, trying to work in uh, flashback origin stories, and you know when you're talking about new characters, it it was a little tricky for me. So you're having the fight, and then the color shifts, and we have a little flashback, couple flashbacks for uh, Murder Hands or Wolverine. Um, and it threw the pacing off a little bit. And then there's a phone call that happens in the middle of it. And even an art switch that happens later, which we'll get into. But it made it tricky to follow. There's there's a lot of information coming out and and just a very complex brawl that that you're trying to follow as well. Talking about the confusion of otherworldly characters, like at the end of the last issue when Murder Hands refers to Shadow Cat as like Kitty Cat. But she has her fist up against um, up against Gwen's head. So in my mind, I assumed that was the Earth-65 version of Laura and not Shadowcat. And I just thought Kit Kat was like some weird Earth-65 nickname they had given her. It took me until this issue to realize, oh no, this is Kitty Pride. So like that's like a thing where that was like frustrating for me. It's like, 
okay, so now I have to spend all this time trying to figure out who this character is instead of just being like, okay, what's happening in this scene? <laughs> right. She's kind of an amalgamation of both, isn't she, really? She's got the... And it seems like from the flashback, we get the impression that instead of X-23 Laura being cloned and using Wolverine's powers, it's now swapped and is the other way around. And he's been given some sort of powers from her. And I, yeah. I, I liked that twist, but I definitely agree with Brian that it should have been restructured in some way where it didn't interrupt the scene so directly. Maybe have a page like dedicated to that scene just before Gwen speaks to Reed on the phone or something like that, because jumping back and forth between the fight between the lizard and Wolverine and the flashback and Kitty and Gwen having a conversation in a chokehold was yeah. so distracting and confusing for me. I had to read it a few times, which is something Brian and I have talked about quite extensively on this show. It's kind of the main problem with this this series for me when I read it the first time is it can be quite difficult to follow because it's so fast-paced and I really have to consciously slow myself down and, and read it page by page, panel by panel. Don't skim anything. Really take it in. Pay attention to... Like you mentioned, Brian, the, the changing colours for the panels as well. The fact that they use the kind of yellowish hue across it really helps to kind of distinguish it. But I still found it quite disorienting. I totally agree, and I, and I think also that also gets hampered by as you know. I think as you mentioned in the notes that switching up the artist halfway through because they oh. you know they have to to get it out can really throw things off completely speaking of problems we'll, we'll get back to the plot in a second but swapping art mid-issue is almost always a terrible idea in comics and granted i'm sure there was some other you know external factors totally understand it has to be done sometimes to meet deadlines and things like that sometimes it's done for artistic reasons like you have a flashback and it's purposefully done by a different artist in a different style so it's completely distinctive uh they used it in uh, the current hawkeye series very early on where you'd have lemire doing certain pages and balancing between other artists doing the kind of main pages and when it goes back to young characters it would be lemire and his kind of dreamy style and then come back to more classic superhero style in the main pages and that works really well this isn't a conscious artistic choice of oh for the second half of the book we're going to swap it because you know they could have done it because harry's gone completely insane and we're inside his brain and it's it's a different thing but like the background just goes the most orange i've ever seen anything basically and it's really it really took me out of the book for a second and there's there's nothing wrong with coelho's artwork it's, it's an interesting style, and it's not that dissimilar to Robbie's in a lot of ways, but I'm just so used to Rodriguez and Gwen and these characters looking the way they do in using him and Rico Renzi and the combination of the two of them. It instantly distracted me again, and being distracted from reading two or three times in one issue is usually not a good sign for me. It's worth noting that there was also an assist on the colors, so Rico was joined by Lauren Aff on this one, so I'm not sure... I can assume that maybe she stepped in for the Coelho art pages as well. Yeah, I would assume so. Because in the past, we've we've noted how Rico's colors tend to anchor the book across styles. So when Chris Visions uh, stepped in or Bengal, you had that continuity. But here, yeah, when when it just went nuclear orange, it, it was a it was a double or even triple take. 
I was going to mention the Chris Visions thing because that was like maybe my least favorite example of the art switching in this book was when it happened in the Thanksgiving issue because it went from the very clean like crisp lines you get with Rodriguez to suddenly like these like almost like charcoal-y kind of lines and everybody became really rounded and I know that it was kind of intended to be a shift in the story when you brought in Spider-Woman from, from Earth 616, but it was so different looking and it was so distracting that it completely took me out of the book. This one threw me off, but I at least was still able to kind of follow the action. Did you follow the fight resolution, like what Gwen did? I didn't quite catch that Kitty had phased his hand in at first. Again, and that's that's my own pacing, but I, I don't know if you did you catch that the first time around? I I didn't catch it when she was describing the plan, but then when she actually did it, I was like, oh, okay, I see what's happening now. Like it it took it took me a little bit for it all to click together. But I actually like like that plan because one of the things that I like about Gwen that I think doesn't get played up as much as it should is that like cuz you know part of what made Spider-Man so impressive was that he was a he was a genius. You know, it wasn't just that he had these powers, he was already a genius. Like he designed his own web fluid and stuff like that. And it's not that Gwen is stupid, but she's not a genius nerd character she's the daughter of a detective so like that's her skill set right is like she has been taught by her dad like deductive reasoning and stuff like that and so i like when they do actually have a plot that isn't like just like i i love the resolution last year with the punisher where she like webbed his hand to his chest so that she, he couldn't fire on her anymore like that kind of stuff is interesting to me and so like this one's a great example of that too of she being like okay this is your power. This is what's going on with these guys. This is what I need to have happen. How can I combine all these things into one thing? And I like that worked out. But yeah, I do agree that it could have been telegraphed a little bit better before it happened. I have to say the the resolution to the Harry and Gwen battle, I mean, you get that other splash page and it the specter of the symbiote is menacing and Gwen's face is a little is interesting because the eyes are so huge, almost taking over her her whole face. I just have to say that is the most unfortunate placement of the symbiote, kind of like the way Harry's body is positioned. Because if you look at that page again, <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even notice that before. But oh yeah, that is and, very and his expression too. It just it just adds up to like oh oh oh. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that until you mentioned it, Brian. So it's clearly your filthy mind. That's... Hey, well, see now for everyone listening, now you won't unsee it. So apologies, but <laughs> and that page feels so almost like a horror comic. Riley, you mentioned the the scratchy kind of charcoal-y style of visions that was used previously in this series. And you get this really kind of, it almost looks like a classic 70s or 80s horror comic kind of thing where the ghost is looming over, like if Harry was the main character in this kind of, I don't know, ghost detective book or something from Amazing Fantasy back in the day or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, Harry's expression is just bizarre and odd and but I, I really do love the the venom kind of specter leaning over. It's odd that it would lean over that far and not just like kind of latch onto Gwen straight away, but you know, you gotta give the artistic vision some some credit and let that kind of thing loom over Gwen literally and figuratively. So seems like Gwenham is pretty imminent. Yeah, I mean, we're at book four of this arc, so I imagine I imagine we're going to see... I, I, I would have liked... I don't know how much time we're going to get with her 
just having the black suit similar to like how Spider-Man did, but not, you know, to use a term, but you know, I think it's going to be the pictures don't look like the black suit exactly. Or if she's going to go right into being Gwenom, we're going to see how that plays out. So we're talking about the art. I mean, there's a lot of push and pull for this issue and, and the series in general when it comes to the art and the writing, because they're both very much at the at the top of their games. And so I just want to sh- shift to the writing a little bit. I liked in this issue, there was kind of this running parallel of uh, some messed up friendships happening. So And one friend being called to step up to help the other. So we have Gwen and Harry's situation, but also Kitty and Logan, who are characters we don't know that well, but then I appreciated seeing that kind of tied together, like one person having to, like, they're bound together by this unusual circumstance and they ha- kind of have to question their their motivations and their and kind of own their decisions. And Jason in the past has said that his take on Spider-Gwen is not necessarily – or it's about power and responsibility, but to take it a step further, it's power and accountability. And kind of yeah. if, you, if you make a decision, you're going to have to stick with that decision. So you've got Gwen and Harry – Kitty and Logan, and and even George and DeWolf to an extent, and I liked that conversation with Reed, even though it you know the pacing didn't necessarily feel natural for you know in the middle of a brawl for Gwen to pick up the phone and call a kid who's in the middle of playing video games, but the the idea that the ideas that Reed expressed were great really tied it together for me. Like you could have you had a million different options for how you could have approached the situation yet you went to Murdoch. So ask yourself why. So if you really want to be spider woman, then own it and it's not going to be pretty or easy, but this, you know, this is, you got to take the rough with the smooth. This is, this is part of the deal. I like that, how that pushed her into the decision. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Like, I think, I think the power and accountability thing is really at the core of, of what makes this character different than Spider-Man. And I think that, you know, she's she's someone who's raised by a cop who has a staunch, you know, feeling against corruption and stuff like that. And so that really fuels her character. And she has kind of betrayed that a little bit by going to Murdoch. And so it is good to finally have somebody kind of call her on that and kind of like literally call her because they're on the phone. <laughs> you know, it, as much as it was a weird pacing thing for her to call Reed, this does feel like a very Spider-Gwen kind of thing to do. She is someone who unfortunately so far has constantly called for help. Like she is, you know, whether she's talking to a hallucinogenic pig or she's running off to talk to, to Jessica from our world, like it's interesting how much she, you know, tends to reach out. And so I like this moment where she stands up and goes, okay, I have to make these choices and do things. And I haven't seen that from her in a while. So it was good to see that kind of push and happen. We close out, of course, rounding back around, as I mentioned, with George and the kind of aftermath of Rhino's attack. I, like I said, I thought this was a powerful kind of bookend to the issue. How did you guys feel about George being left possibly moments from death bloody and beaten it was pretty brutal yeah for an for an attack we don't even see it's surprisingly kind of not gory but yeah brutal i think is the right word like you always think of there's so many kind of comics and particularly superhero comics where they just punch the absolute hell out of each other and there's no real consequences and they're like oh wipe a bit of blood from my mouth and then they shake hands and walk off or whatever and there's kind of this, you know, unwritten rule that nobody really gets killed or injured in superhero comics these days. This looks like some 
as the advert said for you, Brian, this just got real. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, in a strange way, it reminded me of the movie Seven. And Seven is a movie where these horrible, horrible uh, murders and crimes are committed, but you don't actually see them happen. You see the aftermath, and then it's up to you and your imagination to kind of fill that in. That becomes even more terrifying. And so we never see the rhino lay into George, but then when you see his body, at the, his face and like the bruising on his temple, like what's like brain dead? Like what's he's not coming out of that very easily anytime soon. It's it really shook me up. I, I found that really rattling and disturbing. And my and I was like, wow, they they actually did it. I didn't think they would. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that I think the horror on the wolf's face when she looks through the bars and just sees what happened to him and you don't see what she sees you just see her reaction to it like that can that can be used very effectively there was a there was a scene on this most recent season of fargo where one character is just being brutally beaten by some some mobsters and there's another character who's watching it happen and you only see his face you don't see what's happening to her yeah and it's so much more brutal and so much more intense because you're being forced to see how he responds to it and i think i think the same is happening in this comic and it's it's rare to see that happening in a drawn format because you don't you don't get to see that like slow just blood fading from the face you don't get to see that like whiteness but somehow on this it really worked and so when you finally get that payoff at the end of george's body it's just it's just a gut punch well a face punch is the yeah. case <laughs> right like but uh yeah for me it's like was this the best cliffhanger yet or the best cliffhanger this was that was pretty powerful it's definitely the one that most makes me like mad that the book is over and i want to read more <laughs> now instead of waiting till next month and i also of course am very excited that the next month's cover has a picture of the mary jane's on it so i'm hoping we get more mary jane time in the next month but it's gonna be real weird to switch from your dad has been brutally beaten and is in the hospital to <laughs> rocking out with the girls <laughs> face it tiger yes yeah that's one of the key things i agreed particularly with you and your article riley is we need more mary janes in this comic they are fantastic yes. They are such a underutilized supporting cast that could be like the key, most fantastic part of this series if they were given the the page time that they deserve. And you're right, it might be a bit tonally weird now that we're going from the rhino possibly nearly killing, almost actually killing George Stacy to hanging out with the girls. But <laughs> I, I love Mary Jane, so I'm 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 ready for some more kick-ass band antics yeah i uh, i'm almost a little, a little bummed that they finally really kind of brought the end of the arc of them trying to figure out if she really is spider woman or not with the whole cell phone thing because that was really funny and i liked that but i also kind of loved the back and forth of of like back in the halloween issue and stuff like that where like mary jane was like no she's definitely spider Woman, <laughs> right just, like that's <laughs> It's just a thing. And I, I loved that certainty and how clear it was. And I, I, I wouldn't have minded that storyline being dragged out a little bit longer as a running gag. But at the same time, the whole cell phone thing was hilarious. So, And it was a good comedic beat in that particular issue. I want more things to ground Gwen into her humanity, which I guess maybe the reason why they don't have that right now is because that's, that kind of helps lead her towards why she partnered with the with the Kingpin, the Daredevil Kingpin. 
regardless of what was going on because she doesn't have anybody in her life right now who's like make like the only the only thing that's grounding her in humanity is her father and if her father is the one who's in danger then she's going to do what she has to do to save him that's why i'm so looking forward to seeing how this arc plays out because this is the moment like she makes the best possible choice to help her friend and to do what she thinks is helping her dad and it's also the worst we know it's going to be the worst possible choice the next arc is is going to be that that fall from grace and and finding her way back and based on you know what's happened to Harry and to George like I who knows who'll be waiting for her on the other side. George's whole thing has been like he wants to go to trial and like tell the truth under oath so that he can like clear clear her name a little bit, but that's going to all change if she becomes Gwenum and kind of becomes a villain for a little while because like suddenly the public's going to really turn on Spider Gwen probably at some point coming up. Like that's my. That's my expectation for it anyway. We'll see. I like how the seeds are sown for Foggy as well. You know, talking about that what if stuff and, and the alternate universe stuff, I think the reason why it works so well for me with both Foggy and with Murdoch is that these are characters who we are now invested in in this comic. And so it, it's very interesting to us to see an Earth 65 version of Murdoch that was raised by the hand and becomes the kingpin instead of becoming the daredevil. But we've also, that was built over time. That was seeded. That was slowly peppered in. There's that great moment where he just like brutalizes the vulture with his cane. Another example of something that mostly happened off screen. Like you see him swipe the cane. You don't really see the carnage and you see him wiping his cane off. And, you know, those seeds were there and they've been built up. Whereas I this whole thing with Murder Hands and, and Kitty Pride. If we don't continue continue to see more of them as this storyline continues, I'm going to be kind of bummed that we spent so much time on their backstory instead of focusing on the characters we already have. This is where I actually kind of missed the bios a little bit. I, I thought that would have been really helpful for me as a reader, anyway, to, to use that space to kind of flesh out those characters. Yes. All right. So that said, um, three words. How would you summarize your, your experience with Spider-Gwen number 22? Phased gut punch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, owning your choices. Ooh, a deep one, Brian. And, uh, yeah. See, Riley, you've already picked up on the dynamic here. We either do like a a quick, funny one-liner, and Brian tends to go like super deep and create some <laughs> kind of like, well, with responsibility. It's, it's an interesting Chinese proverb that says like, and and yeah, I'm I'm glad you're more like me. You just need to sharp punchy one-liner it was awesome exactly. <laughs> <laughs> i like gwen <laughs> i am gonna go for um slightly too frantic because i like i said i got kind of lost in the middle there and it and it distracted me a bit too much we also heard from uh, some of you guys as well on Twitter. We heard from Stefan Bonomo at Games Enlisted, and his take was, or his three-word summary was, Reed was right. <laughs> or alternatively, where's Samantha Wilson? Yeah, why didn't she go and get Captain America to help her? That would have been a great idea. We need, we need, more, we need more Sam Wilson. I would love if Marvel could find a way to spin off samantha wilson captain america as her own or six like if they could find I, I know that like i don't think they're going to make a whole series of earth 65 books because that's kind of why they undid the ultimate universe but i would love to see some more standalone sam wilson stories from this universe and we got one more from our friend griff mcarran at griff the monster who just simply said 
R.I.P. Oh, God. Too soon, Griff. Too, too soon. soon. I would agree there. Yes. He's still breathing. Give give the poor man a chance. God, if, if they kill off George Stacy, I will be I will be devastated. Me like, too. Uh, like we've said before, his relationship with Gwen is one of the best bits of this book. And, and as I mentioned before, the kind of thing that separates it from a lot of other superhero comics, she has like a functioning relationship with her father, which is often often a catalyst for people to become superheroes in the first place. Like, oh, my parents are dead. I'm an orphan. Better become a superhero. She actually has a working and fantastic, hilarious, heartwarming relationship with her dad. And, oh, Latour, you, you, you're doing me wrong here, man. I don't, I don't know if I can handle you killing off another character like this after, oh, yeah, yeah. After Southern Bastards, I was going to yeah, say you did read you did read oh, Southern Bastards, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, Ugh. yeah. I mean, well, this is yeah, this is all kinds of Southern Bastards re- reflections going on here. It's got it's got me worried. It's got me on the edge of my seat. It makes sense why Peter Parker had to die so that you don't have Spider Man in this universe. Like that makes sense, and I understand why they did that. Also, to make Peter Parker kind of Gwen's version of what Gwen is to our Peter. But I also would love it if we could get away from like, oh, we have to kill off a loved one to give this character pathos because like that's exactly Exactly. what I don't want to have happen with Gwen. Same reason why I don't want Gwen to be dating Miles Morales. I don't want Gwen to be Spider-Man's girlfriend. I want her to have a story that's not stories we've already seen from her. So the last thing I want them to do is just give turn turn George into both her version of our George and our Uncle Ben. Right. Uh, so that's what we thought of this issue, but we would love to hear from more of you. You can head over to ultimatespinpodcast.com, click on the Talk to Us button, send us an email at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. We're over on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin, Facebook at Ultimate Spin Podcast, and on Instagram, ultimate underscore spin underscore podcast, using the hashtag SpiderGwen, Miles Morales, and Spider-Man. And of course, you can find all of our older episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just search for Ultimate Spin. Riley Silverman, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. So where can uh, the good people find you if they want to find out more about your adventures outside of Earth-65? Well, uh, you can check out my writing on Sci-Fi. On fan- it's the Fangirls page. I have a few articles up on there. And you can find me on Twitter at Riley Silverman. So it's at R-Y-E-S-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N. And if, if you're a Doctor Who fan, I have a Doctor Who podcast called The Regenerates that you might want to check out. Excellent title. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was very proud. I basically thought of the title and I was like, well, I have to do this show now. <laughs> That's often how the best things come along. You come up with a either a punchline or a title first, and then work backwards. <laughs> yeah, Jack, your your new podcast has a pretty cool title as well. It does. Yeah, we are called the Sequelizers. That is my latest podcast. It is all about fixing the bad sequels to good movies. Basically, I'll give an example. Our first episode is about Jaws two because Jaws is a fantastic film, an all-time classic, kind of redefined the blockbuster as we know it, and Jaws 2 is awful. So, me and a group of friends, they actually come up with some pitches and some scripts to fix Jaws 2, and I basically host the whole thing and judge it as a kind of little competition game show kind of thing. That is sequelizers as in the word sequel, and it's very British, 
So it's all S's. There's no Z's or Z's or whatever you American guys call them. <laughs> it's all the S's, all the E's, sequelizers. It's not spelt like equalizer with a Z or an A or anything like that. It's all E's, all S's. And uh, yeah, come and listen to me and my friends try and fix terrible films. If you want to follow me personally for some reason on Twitter, I'm JLW Chambers. Um, I tweet about mostly about comics and stuff, also about professional wrestling, um, films I'm watching, podcasts I'm editing and grinding through because I edit too many podcasts these days. But apart from that, Brian, how can people follow you on the internet? If you want to check out other podcasts I've worked on, some writing I've done about comic books, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff can be found at project37.net. Also want to give a shout out to our kind of, I always call them the sister show, and I know Dan hates that, but our good friends over at Amazing Spider Talk, fantastic show. We had Dan on on the last episode, and it is a really great now retrospective look into the history of spider-man as a character and uh, you can support them on patreon as well as i have done myself and the patreon exclusive episodes are really really good as well worth the money to just get the exclusive episodes and support those guys and all the fantastic work they do on their show we also have the long-awaited release of the miles morales novel by award-winning writer jason reynolds it is finally being released hopefully here in the uk although i still can't find it for pre-order anywhere so that should be interesting brian you had a pre-release copy you lucky lucky thing so you've already reviewed it spoiler free don't worry folks he won't spoil the book for you and you can check out brian's review on superiorspidertalk.com and then coming up in spider-man 19 miles has been wrestling with some inner demons and losing has he gone so far into the dark that he can't find his way back into the light We've also got the continuation of Spider-Man 2, the mystery of the other Miles Morales Dickens, but our Spider-Men may need to hit pause on the sleuthing because Taskmaster is coming to take him down. And then Spider-Gwen number 23 continues the Predator's arc. Gwen, Wolverine, Harry Osborn, Madripoor, plus Riley and Jack are going to be over the moon because Hannah Blumenreich steps in for a guest story starring none other than the Mary Janes. Awesome. Lots of great stuff ahead, and we will be there to read and talk about it all with you. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you soon on The Ultimate Spin.